Well, let's take out our notes as we continue this new series this month, Our One Another's. And we're going to find out about a test that God will give to us in that day and where the answers for that test will be found. It's actually an open book test. But before we get into it, let me share with you a funny story about a test. This young man took a class called ornithology in college. It was a very large class, about 100 students. There they would find out about birds. Ornithology is a study of birds, the coloring of the feathers, the migration habits, feeding patterns, origin of species, etc. They'd learn about this, but it was well known that everything would come to a head in the final exam. So these students studied like crazy for this final exam. But lo and behold, the day of the final exam comes, and they get into the class, and instead of him handing out a paper with all of these questions, he uh, put, on, uh, put up papers with tape all over the room with just bare bird legs. And the assignment is you have to identify what bird goes with these bird legs. And the students are like, this is stupid. We didn't study this bird leg. This is ridiculous. And so they had them all over the room, and kids are scratching their heads. They don't even know where to start. Finally, this one kid with courage enough to stand up, he stood up and said, this is the stupidest final exam I've ever seen. This is ridiculous. I'm out of here. And he grabs his backpack, and he starts to walk out. The professor says, hey, 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 son, you know if you leave this class, you're going to fail this class. He said, I don't care. This is so dumb. It's okay. All right, good. Tell me, what is your name? He looked back and said, what's my name? He grabbed his pant leg and said, you tell me. <laughs> Exams. You know, my students will come to me and say, hey, um, what's going to be on the midterm? What's going to be on the final? And if I said to them, you know, uh, in the book that we have studied, there's 10 chapters. Chapter 5 is the greatest chapter. Wink, wink. Now, if the student studies every other chapter except 5 and then he fails a test, it's like, dummy, I told you where to find the answer. And God does the very same thing. Today, he's going to tell us the greatest commandment. And we're going to unpack that because in it are some answers that we want to talk about. Now, interesting, in the end, I don't think God is going to test us and examine us and assess us on how many accomplishments we've made. Or maybe how many uh, things that we sold or how many trophies that we've received. How many degrees do we have? How many books have you written? How prominent are you among men? I don't think so. I'm here to suggest to you today that I think God is going to see how we do in navigating relationships. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Relationships with God and with people. Not easy people, mind you. Because you see, when I say people, it's not easy people. It's, God's not going to test us on how well we loved our friends. Matthew chapter 5, 5 tells us, Anybody can love your friends. What good is it if you love those who love you? Even the heathen do the same. <laughs> well, I like you because you look like me, act like me, like things like me, and then you dress like me. Basically, I like me through you. <laughs> no, it's not the easy people. The real test is how you navigate the relationships you have with the ones who have done you wrong. 
the unlovable coworker who didn't invite you to a meeting? How'd you navigate that one? Or the friend who wasn't there when you needed them the most? Or the person that cut you off in traffic? Or the one who belittled you? Or the one who broke trust with you? Usually we use these kinds of unlovely people to excuse us from living the Christian life that we should live. We use them to really excuse ourselves. It's like, what would you do if you were treated like that? What would you do? Obviously, yeah, it's not my fault, it's his. And we use them as an excuse. However, God is saying to us, if we don't navigate relationships correctly, there will come an acid that slowly drips on the inside to the point where it runs throughout your limbic system, your nervous system. Pretty soon it affects those around you and you start to make decisions that you didn't want to make. You say things that you regret having said. You do things that you regret having done. It skews your motives. It skews your agenda. And it actually affects your future and maybe even your forever. I like to tell a story about a lady that died and went to heaven and she met St. Peter at the pearly gates. And she says, wow, this is cool. Can I enter? St. Peter says, yes, but first you have to spell a word. She goes, what? Yeah, you have to spell a word. Jesus. Oh, he's my redeemer, J-E-S-U-S. -S. He goes, great, come on in. Hey, but before you go in, I got to check on something. I'll just be gone five minutes. Can you just watch the pearly gates for me? Oh, she said, yeah, but what do I do if someone comes up? He says, just do what I did for you. And off he goes. Well, no sooner did he disappear when over the horizon, a figure begins to approach her. And the closer this person gets, she notices it's her ex-husband. <laughs> he gets closer and closer, and she puts her hands in her pocket. She's, she says, what the heck are you doing here, Harry? He said, oh, I was playing golf, and I died of a heart attack. Uh, uh, can I enter? She says, well, uh, first you have to spell a word. He says, okay, what is it? She said, spell Czechoslovakia. <laughs> That acid drips into everything, doesn't it? And that's why we find at the top of our notes, God's going to talk to us about relationships, but not the easy ones. Let's read this right at the top of our notes out of 1 Peter 4.8. Would you read it nice and loudly? Go. Above all, keep fervent in your love for... For love covers a multitude of sins. This is where the test is going to be. But would you circle the word, keep fervent, fervent? You see, the Greek word for fervent means stretching and straining. Stretching and straining. With a show of hands, how many of you have people that stretch and strain your love? Raise your hands. Yeah, don't look at your husband. No, 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 no. Just look. Yeah, all of us do. Did you know that God, when he gives you love for people in relationships, your love is elastic. It can stretch and strain. He gives us an elastic love because that's how love grows. He's going to put people in our lives that, need, that come in to stretch and strain our love. We don't like it, but now our love is greater. We can embrace more people. And 
The Bible says God's love was stretched by you and me so much that God could so love the Ooh. Question I would wrestle with is how wide, how broad, and how deep is my love? Is it getting anywhere near his? Because he says, love one another even as I have loved you. How am I going to love people until my love becomes like his? And we stretched and strained his love until it covered the world. And so God gives us some tests to see how we're doing. And I want you to know that in two verses holds the answer to this question of what God is going to hold as most important. It'll be in a commandment called the greatest commandment. Two verses, and it is hidden relationships with God and people. So would you write in number one, you're going to find first that he's going to say one of the most important litmus tests will be, do you love God? Would you write that in, love God? And by the way, if you're here and you've never begun a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, his son, I want to give you that opportunity today at the end of the service. Because if that's not there, nothing else works. If you don't have that link in the chain, all doesn't matter if you have a chain with 50 links in it. If 49 are good but one is bad, it loses everything. You've got to have that love for God. Now we're going to read this. One day a lawyer came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? I mean, just cut to the chase. What's the greatest chapter? For this test to read, as it were. What's the greatest commandment in the whole Bible? Just tell me that so I can study that. Jesus says, good. Here it is. And let's read it together out of your notes. Would you, under number one, go. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your... He didn't say friends. He said what? As yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. This commandment is repeated in Matthew 22, and he adds this phrase, all of the prophets and the law hang on what you just read. In other words, he's the professor saying, this is where the answers are. But I want you to notice something about this. When he says this is the greatest commandment, it has nothing to do with my accolades, accomplishments, Degrees. How many books did you write? How big was your church ministry? How far and wide did people know you? How prominent were you in the community? Nothing about that. You know what this has to do with? Everything to do with how we navigate relationships. Vertically first, your relationship with God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says, love your what? Neighbor as yourself. It has nothing to do with anything except how you navigate relationships. Sometimes we think, well, we have to really provide. We got to have more of this and more of that and bigger this and bigger that. And God is saying, oh, but if you miss this, you missed it all. It's like the story, there's a true story. A friend of mine from college came to me and said, I wrote this huge essay paper for my final exam. And when I got the paperback, it said, great citations, great bibliography, great illustrations, grade F, wrong assignments. And I wonder if one day we'll stand before the Lord and he'll say, good this, good that, good this, F, wrong assignment. So hidden in the greatest commandment 
is the most important thing that God is looking at. And that's how we navigate relationships, beginning with love the Lord your God. The second is love your whom? Would you write that in? Number two, love your neighbor. He doesn't say love friends. That's easy. He says love your neighbor. We say, Wayne, who, who's my neighbor? Ah, you're just like the guy that asked Jesus that in Luke 10. A guy came up and said, Lord, who's my neighbor? And the Lord tells him a parable of the good Samaritan. A man was going on the road to Jericho. There he was accosted and beaten half to death. He lay there by the road and a priest came along, didn't want to dirty himself, so he kept going. A Levite came by and said, no, if I touch this guy, he's a Gentile, I'll be unclean. And so he went by, but a Samaritan came by and said, forget all of that. Bandaged this man, cleaned his wounds, took him to an inn, gave the guy 200 bucks and said, take care of him. I'm going on a quick journey. If there's anything more that is owed, I will come back and pay the balance. And the Lord said, which of these three was a neighbor? And the lawyer said, well, of course, the Samaritan. And Jesus says something, go and do thou likewise. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the greatest commandment. So you say, well, who's, your, who's my neighbor? Well, you have friends and you have neighbors. Would you write down in your notes, friends are the people you choose. Your neighbor, the people God chooses. You have no say in that. And he says, love, not your friends, love your what? Who's your neighbor? People that God chooses to be in your life. Wasn't on your plan, wasn't on your agenda. But he put him there, you have nothing to say. There he is, there he is your neighbor. Like whom? Like that co-worker, that demonic co-worker? That's your neighbor. Well, I surely didn't choose him. Yeah, God did. What about that boss that you can't stand? That's your neighbor. Guy living next door to you. Obviously, that's your neighbor, <laughs> but I didn't choose him. He's got that dog, that rabid dog that barks all night. I want to kill the dog. That's your neighbor. Love your neighbor. He's not my friend. I didn't say love your friends. I said love your, love your neighbors. Because you see, friends are the people you choose. Neighbors are the people I choose. Why did God choose a demonic boss like I have? Did God really choose him? Uh-huh. No way. Yahweh. Because it's how you navigate relationships that's going to grow your love. Otherwise, your love stays at the size of a pea. There's not much there, just a little bean, not much there. But God is saying, I want to stretch and strain your love so that your love will be for God so loved the... And we'll never be able to reach the world unless we have the love that is as big as a geography and the people we want to reach. You can't love if it's small and never been stretched. So God places people in your lives and he just says, you know, I tell you, the greatest and most important of all is how you navigate relationships because if you do that right, everything else falls in place. Because you see, life actually, the value of life rises or falls on the basis of healthy relationships. That's your next note there. You can write that in there. The value of life rises and falls on the basis of healthy relationships. If you don't have healthy relationships, nothing means anything at all. I was driving to this man's house. I was counseling him, and he was a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. And a huge car, 
huge mansion, boats and sports kinds of vehicles everywhere. But he had just recently gotten a divorce about six months prior and lost his kids. And he looked at me as we were driving to this magnificent mansion. And he said, Wayne, I would give all of this up, he pointed like this, if I could get my relationship back with my wife and my kids. See, none of that means anything. I give people this example. Let's say someone stood before God and God said to this individual, I just want to make you happy. How can I make you happy? Uh, how much would you like? Well, God, if I had $10 million, I'd be happy. Good. You want that in currency and a check or you want it in gold bullion? Oh, I'll have it in just bars of gold. Thank you. Good. I'll put it in a pallet. What else would you like that'll make you happy? Well, I'd like a big house. Good, I'll give you three big houses, like mansions. Woohoo! And not only that, I'll give you an Olympic-sized swimming pool in each one. Woohoo! This is amazing! Yeah, and controllable, dimmable lighting. Wow! What about cars? Oh man, I'd like a nice car. I'll give you a Ferrari. And then I'll give you a Maserati and a Corvette. Woo! And I'll even throw in a couple of Harley Davidsons. Oh man, are you happy now? I am so happy. There's only one catch. What? I'm just happy. What's the catch? I'm going to give you all of these things, but you'll be on a deserted island and you'll never see another human being for the rest of your life. But all of that stuff will be right there. And you might be happy for the first month when you swim in one pool one day, swim the next pool the next day, sleep in this mansion, that mansion, drive your Ferrari around, then drive this other car around, drive that one. But after about a month, you'll hang your feet over the side of the pool and say, this is worth nothing if I can't have anybody to share it with. Isn't that right? Or if your relationships are horrible, nothing means anything. You see, the value of life rises or falls on the basis of healthy relationships, and that's why Jesus put that in one, enclosed it, encapsulated, and it's constant in one verse. It's about relationships. That's what makes life valuable. And that's why if you'll get a stretched and strained love, it'll help you to love the world. And then you'll begin to love people as I love you. You miss that. Doesn't matter what you do. Oh, I'm getting it. So the first in this relationship is your love for God. That has to start. If nothing else, if you go anywhere else, you start right there first. Your love for God. And I hope each of you have made that decision. If not, make it today. And the second is love your neighbor. That's your friends, your neighbor. Remember, friends are people you choose. Your neighbor is people that God chooses. There's a bunch of those. That's where the test is. Not with friends. But the third, I hate. I hate this verse. Sorry. I'm a pastor, but I hate a verse. What's the verse? When he tells me, in relationships... Love your enemies. I, I, just, I, I just can't handle this. But he says it's clear as day. Let's read it. Number three, you'll see what I mean. Are you ready? Go. You have heard that it has been said, love your neighbor, we heard that, and hate your enemy. Okay, that's good. I like that. But I say to you, love your Bless them that Yeah. I don't like this one. I just don't like it because I'd rather curse them than bless them. And why would you bless a dimwit? Because if you bless a dimwit, he's going to get dimwitter. Whatever. Dimmer. He's going to get dimmer. So now you have dim and dimmer. <laughs> and 
I don't want to bless people that are evil because they'll get more evil. Why does he say that? This is nuts. And he says, oh, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. So, so you don't want us to curse back. No, bless instead. You see, God knows what he's talking about because all through the Bible, he has had to deal with people who hate one another. Adam and Eve's first kids, Cain and Abel. Cain hated Abel. Why? Because Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God and Cain's wasn't. Now, I hate you. I hate you. And then King Saul hated David. Why? Because David won the hearts of the people by just who he was. King Saul was mad. I want to enfranchise the hearts of the people. I want them to be endeared to me, not to you. And because of his jealousy, he hated David. And the rest of his life, he tried to kill him. God has to deal with these kinds of things with his own kids. And then in the New Testament, Saul of Tarsus hated those who followed Christ, made it his career to find and rout them out and kill them. But something happened to Paul of Tarsus. Tarsus, something happened to him, and his enemies were changed into friends. How? A love that took place in his heart that was stretched and strained. Hmm. I look at that, but I still can't figure it out. God, why do you want us to bless? Let me tell you why. Are you ready? The blessing that you give is not for the other person. God decides if it's going to stick or not, not you. Blessing is for you to keep you free from their sin, toxifying your life. That's just how it's designed. If I bless, I stay free. If I curse, I get pulled in. How many people's sins, whether it's a molestation or a problem in the past, their sin is still holding you hostage today, years later? I look at it now, and I'm sure it's... it's justifiable, but I look at some of these things where the Me Too and different people come out, it's like 30 years ago. I thought, whoo, I know it's justifiable and they need to deal with that. But you understand the toxins that were in that lady or that guy's heart for 30 some years. And I think, wow, although it's justifiable and they need to stand accountable, at the same time, I'm thinking you just lost 35 years. Wow, acid building up in your life. I thought, you know, God, is there a way that we can annul that sooner? Not endorsing any of the stuff that has been done because it's still terrible. But that person is held hostage. Lord, is there any healing for that? And as a counselor, as a shepherd, I'd say, boy, I know that's wrong and that needs to be held accountable for, but, but your life is so precious. And acid is destroying your future. Well, what is it? Here, God gives us a really tough assignment. And this is maybe the crux of the test. It's how do you deal with your enemies? Oh, not endorsing them. But can you, instead of cursing them, bless them? Why do, does God want us to bless? Because he wants the people of God to be known as blessers, not cursers. Because there are some Christians known as cursers. They're cynical. They'll let you know what you're doing wrong. They'll look for the absence of Jesus rather than the presence of God. They'll look at a church like this and say, oh, yeah, and, and it could be a fabulous service. Everything is great, but, boy, the parking, parking, parking stunk. It's like, well, forget it. You know, it's a great time here. Yeah, but parking stinks. Well, I know, but look at the wonderful, yeah, but parking stinks. It's like, stop. 
So sure it is, we're, we're resolving that, but, but look at what's good first, because you gotta train your eyes to see what's good, isn't that right? If you don't train your eyes to see what's good, you're gonna default to what's ugly. I mean, you look at the newspaper every morning, is it good news or bad news? Bad news. And if that's not enough, you go to the magazine stand, you get a, you know, the U.S. news and bad news report or whatever, and then you rush home to watch the 5 o'clock bad news, and you stay up late so you can watch the 10 o'clock bad news, so you can get a bad sleep and have bad dreams, get up with a bad back and have a bad attitude. <laughs> you do that every day for 30, 40 years. So now, all we see is bad, right? But God is saying, I want my people to be known as blessers because I am known as a blesser, not a curser. And you represent me in the world. And your love when you're born isn't that big. So I'm going to put people in your life that are going to stretch and strain your love. Because your love is elastic. And until you're able to love the world as I, how can we reach them? So I want you to bless Ah, oh, but God, that's still hard for me. It's still hard because if they don't deserve it, aha, your responsibility is to bless. Mine is to decide whether they're worthy or not to receive. Deal? Sometimes we say, well, they're not worthy. Ah, it's not your kuliana. That's mine. Your responsibility is just bless. Indiscriminately. Bless. Well, I judge. No, 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 you don't judge. I judge whether they're worthy. You just Bless. Well, what if they're not worthy? Oh, I'm about to tell you the coolest scripture in the New Testament, I think, anyway. Are you ready for this? Oh, I love this. I'm going to tattoo this one on my chest. If my wife will let me, she won't. But uh, this is so cool. It's at the bottom of your notes. Are you ready? Let's read it together as loud as you can because you're going to love this. Go. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will. Oh, I like that. You see, God says, I'll decide whether the blessing of peace, whatever blessing you're giving, if you give a blessing and if he's not worthy, uh, I won't give it to him. If he's worthy, great. If he's not, it'll come back to you. It's a win-win. So you know what I do now? I look for the most unworthy, terrible dimwits, and I say, God, bless him with a million dollars. Bless him, God. God, bless him with a Corvette. No, 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 Harley Davidson. Yes, Harley. Yeah, I'm, you know, it sounds funny, but what God is saying is, I determine whether it sticks or not. Your responsibility is to bless because it keeps you free from their sin. Don't be held hostage, ever. And I want you to be known as blessors. And then when your love is stretched and strained, it becomes my love. Because it's I who put people there. Your friends, you choose. Your neighbors, I choose. And if you cooperate with me and bless indiscriminately, if it's not worthy of that person, It'll come back to you. What a good deal that is, huh? Love your enemies. Let me finish with two stories. One's a fictitious story, but it has a good point to it. And the other is a true story and has a very applicable point to it. The first is about a notorious outlaw named Pancho Villa. 
Pancho Villa was in Mexico and people hated him and he hated people and he went through ransacking and pillaging village after village, killing everyone he could. Until one day his final battle, an onslaught of a gunfight. Guns were blazing everywhere. And when the smoke cleared, Pancho Villa had seven or eight bullet holes in him. He was lying there dying. Quickly a padre, a priest ran over and said, Pancho Villa, you are dying. Obviously, he said, I am dying. <laughs> Pancho Villa, do you want to go to heaven? Yes, I would like to go to heaven, he said. If you go to heaven, you must first forgive all your enemies. Pancho Villa smiled. He says, I have no enemies. The padre said, you have no enemies? You have many enemies. You must forgive them all. I have no enemies. What do you mean you have no more enemies? I have killed them all. <laughs> You can't do that. <laughs> so you have to live with them. But how do you turn enemies into friends? Abraham Lincoln, someone that I enjoy reading about and studying. Abraham Lincoln, directly after the Civil War, as you know, of the Northern uh, Union troops and after the Civil War was done, the Confederates, of course, had lost, and some of the officers of this defeated army had gotten an audience with the president to complain about some war crimes that had taken place, and it had to be justified. There was ice in their veins. They were so angry and livid. But because of Abraham Lincoln's cool demeanor and gentle spirit, he listened to them and resolved their problem. And those Southern generals left with a whole new respect for this one who was the president, who was once their foe and now considered as their friend. One of the northern legislators saw what was going on. He rushed into the office and said, Mr. President, we are supposed to destroy our enemies, not befriend them. And Abraham Lincoln said something really wise. He said, I did destroy my enemies. I made them my friends. See, the way you destroy enmity is you make them your friends by blessing them. What if they don't deserve it? Don't worry. You'll be blessed twice as much now. So indiscriminately blessed. Why? Is it for them? No, it's for you. And I'm going to put people in your life to stretch and strain your love, but keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of... And it's he who died for the sins of the world that had a love this big. And he says, if we're going to win the world we got to have the same love. It's impossible to do it any other way. That is the greatest commandment. And when you learn that, and when the judgment comes, you'll hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen.